Hi, I'm Takara Small. I'm the host of I'll Go First, a podcast all about the innovators and trailblazers in the Canadian tech world. I've been having great conversations with the founders of today's top companies that are changing the world and happen to live right here at home in Canada. If you want to know more about the minds and lives behind major companies in artificial intelligence, cannabis, DNA testing, and more, make sure to take a listen. Also, subscribe to I'll Go First wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Risk Takers, a podcast about small business by The Globe and Mail. I'm Sarah Efron, and over the coming weeks, we'll be bringing you stories of entrepreneurs who risked everything for their businesses. Today's show is all about fierce competition. First up, we have Cameron Ree's experience of battling an international giant. And later, Andrew Finlater's story of quitting his job only to compete with his old boss. When Cameron Reed started his business in 1995, nobody expected he'd eventually be fighting it out with international dot-coms. When I opened the office, we didn't have a computer. (laughs) Cameron's company would eventually become orderit.ca, one of Canada's top online food delivery destinations. But at the start, it was a bootstrap business mailing out paper menus for seven or eight restaurants in Toronto. For years, we were just in survival mode. Things didn't really change uh, until 2002, 2003, 2004. And that's when a lot of the competition started. Cameron remembers hearing from one of his managers that the enemies were at the gate. A London-based giant had just landed in Canada. I guess he had just got a call from from one of our, our partner restaurants that they had just been approached by a company called Just Eat. And, you know, they had millions of dollars to spend. Damn. (laughs) Party's over. Just Eat moved quickly to sign exclusive agreements with as many Toronto restaurants as possible. Some had already signed exclusive agreements with Cameron. But unfortunately, these can be tough to enforce. We didn't want to kind of be litigious with restaurants. We didn't think that would be a very smart approach but yeah they 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 certainly came in with guns a blazing and and budget to spend Cameron's budget was smaller but he could afford a little marketing like a strategically placed billboard and there was one right outside my competitor's headquarters and it was a big big sign this is that's the one I want and it was just a big sign I was hoping that it was like looking right into the uh, managing director's office so we bought it we ran with it for a few months <laughs> When Just Eat announced plans to expand across Canada, Cameron knew he had to beat them to the punch. So he moved his family out to Vancouver to oversee the expansion personally. And it really pissed off the managing director <laughs> because we, we did, in fact, beat them there. But within a few months, Just Eat arrived in Vancouver too, with triple Cameron's sales force. Cameron was a thorn in Just Eat's side, and vice versa. But of course... It's always best to stay friendly with the enemy. We stayed in touch. Emails, uh, there were a couple of, you know, dinner and drinks meetings. And then it evolved into sort of friendship, colleague sort of like, uh, but again, sort of rivals. <laughs> so we'd have these sort of meetings over drinks, but it almost like we each had like a gun 
pointed at each other under the table, but smiling, you know, smile on our faces. But um, I mean, for most part, the meetings were very civil. That was in contrast, though, to what was happening behind the scenes. We each took every chance we could to badmouth the competition. Meanwhile, Cameron was doing the best he could to hang on to his roster of restaurants. But it was tough. Look, I was all into the business, financially, emotionally. You know, it took a lot of my time. It took a lot of my resources. And you, you have all that on the line. It's pretty stressful. And then you're looking across from you, and, and there's a business that really doesn't want you in the space. Because the, what happened with this industry in the space is there was a realization that you had to be either number one, maybe number two. But anything beyond that, you were irrelevant. So in the case of Just Eat, they wanted to be number one. So if there was another number one there before them, they got to push them down to number two or push them out of business. You know, that's their goal. And or that certainly was their goal then. I don't know if that's changed now, but that's certainly the message we were getting at the time. So yeah, it was stressful. And as the years wore on, more and more competitors piled on. Skip the Dishes, Foodora, Uber Eats. You don't know where to turn. I mean, you're you're always trying to fight off other competitors. And, you know, by the end, I think there were probably four or five services in each city. And uh, it was it was very competitive, very competitive. And, and, it, and it's I think it's even more competitive now, which is OK, because I'm on the outside looking in. <laughs> yes, Cameron has since left the food delivery business, but smart entrepreneurs don't just quit. They quit strategically. I didn't lead on that I really wanted out because you never want to do that in the sort of negotiation. But certainly I think it had run its course and it was time for me to exit. Cameron decided to try and sell the company he'd started nearly 20 years earlier. But he wasn't about to let it go cheap. As long as I could keep the company very competitive and growing, and that was a key. We had to show that we were still growing to be considered a target. Because if they got word that we weren't growing or were in negative growth, then there would be no acquisition interest there. A year or two earlier, Just Eat had expressed some interest in buying Order It, but it was a lowball offer and Cameron refused to sell. But now that negotiations had reopened, Cameron knew that to get the best price, he'd have to shop around for the right buyer. We hired a team of investment bankers and we went out not just to the specific competitor, but we went out to a number of companies worldwide, actually, that might be interested in acquiring Order It. And as the sales process stretched on for months, to avoid a panic, Cameron had to keep everything secret from his staff. Only two people in the company were aware. I'd get a call from, you know, one of the investment bankers, the M&A company, and I'd have to take it. But then I'd have to run out of the office to have the conversation. And it was sometimes easier just to kind of work from home. So I could just actually speak without whispering. <laughs> After years of talking about selling and months of intense negotiations, the deal was nearly done. Until it was nearly undone. During the due diligence process, there's a request to submit any known errors on the site. So we, we did that. We, we sent them a, a whole log file, which was, I don't know, I think it was like 150 pages. And they got that and they said, what? What the hell is this? And... I had to clarify, well, that's the software is actually reporting these errors in the proper way that it's supposed to do. But they didn't quite understand that. And their IT team that saw this just kind of freaked out and sort of dropped the mic. That's it. We're done. (laughs) 
Months of negotiations were nearly ruined by website error logs. But Cameron got his software developer on the line and sorted it out with the acquisition team. It was a fight right to the last day, let, you know, to face it. It was, it was a fight until the deal was signed, the check was in the bank. That was, that was basically how it was. Just Eat bought Order It for an undisclosed amount. But once the ink was dry, there was still one thing left to do. Cameron had to tell his staff. Some kind of shook their head like, ah, I knew it. And others were completely floored. And, um, you know, and, and uh, some people were quite upset. People just don't know what's going to happen. You know, they've got like a new boss, they've got a new office, they've got, you know, uh, or they don't know if they'll be there. Or they don't know if they'll have a job in three or six months. It was a bittersweet victory for Cameron, but a victory nonetheless. I never imagined when I started the business that I'd get to a point of, of, of an acquisition from publicly held entity. That, that, was, that was pretty cool how that worked out. It's now been a little over a year since Cameron sold his business. He lives on a farm outside of Toronto, where there aren't many food delivery options. His biggest responsibility outside of family these days is tending to his chickens and geese. Cameron's been enjoying his semi-retirement, traveling and skiing with his kids. But something keeps tugging him back toward the entrepreneurial fight. I've had enough time to relax now, I think, you know, started to kind of get into some some ideas and uh, talk to a few people. There's nothing definitive, but um, something will happen, undoubtedly. Cameron Reed had the advantage of being established when the competition came knocking. But what if you're the new kid on the block? Andrew Finlater knows a thing or two about that. Okay, you stand up. We'll get these on. It's 4 p.m. on a Friday, and Andrew is helping his son Ewan get his hockey gear on. Ewan plays goalie, so it takes a while. Almost there, buddy, almost there. Andrew works in PR. Seven years ago, not long before Ewan was born, he remembers waiting in the hall for an appointment where he worked at National Public Relations. I remember seeing two other people in the hallway, two women crying, and I was like, oh boy. Oh, I've been invited to a meeting where they're going to let me go. <laughs> so it was uh, it was distressing. Yeah, no doubt. My wife was expecting. and So the timing was, you know, horrible. It's harsh. <laughs> it's very harsh. Andrew had been working at National for six or seven years at that point. But layoffs aren't uncommon at big agencies. They have people that are watching the bottom line. And when things aren't going well in terms of economic forecasts, the only thing that they can truly control are staff and salaries. National didn't know it at the time, and honestly, neither did Andrew. But they were on their way to turning an ally into an adversary. Not just yet, though, because starting a business was actually the last thing on Andrew's mind. I've got a baby on the way. I need to find a job. That's what I need to do. And that's what he did. He got a contract job with another big agency. It was a fun project, the campaign to bring the NHL's Phoenix Coyotes to Hamilton. But soon Andrew realized it still wasn't the right fit. I didn't want to do this anymore. I didn't want to work within another large agency because ultimately it was the same game. It's a different name on the door, but it was the same game where, you know, senior people 
pitch the business, you get junior people to work on the business. And it just felt the same and it just didn't feel right. But we're still not quite at the moment where Andrew becomes an entrepreneur. He needed a little push. Honestly, the moment was finally someone saying, I have this project I want you to work on. Do you want it? And it's like, yeah, I do. Not every entrepreneur is lucky enough to have customers approach them before they've even started a business. And even fewer can say that their first customer was as big as Adidas Canada. Adidas approached me and said, do you want to work on this project? And it's at that point in life where you go, am I going to try and win this business and take it to an agency? Or am I going to start doing my own thing? And yeah, I grabbed it and decided that I'm going to run with it. The connections Andrew had made at National were paying off. But of course, National had a non-compete clause in place to protect themselves from this sort of competition. There were restrictions in a, in a letter saying, hey, this is what you can and cannot do, mainly emphasizing what you cannot do. Ultimately, it was something to the effect saying that you can't go poach National's clients. You can't go steal their clients. But Adidas wasn't a current National client, and they'd come to Andrew, not the other way around. So fair game. Not bad for a first client. Working with a big global brand like felt awesome because, you know, here I am working from home and I'm working with one of the two top sports brands in the world. And then when you start pitching business and you say that you're working with Adidas, you have immense credibility with anyone else that you choose to go pitch. Andrew took advantage of that credibility, and after his 12-month non-compete expired, he landed former national client Black & Decker. Andrew relished showing up his behemoth of a former employer from the comfort of his home office. One of the more satisfying experiences was beating National in a request for proposal from Golf Canada. That was sweet. It was a matter of Golf Canada deciding, do we want to work with a large agency? Or do we want to work with experienced people who know what they're doing? And thankfully, they went with us. And it felt awesome because, you know, it's a a way of saying, you know what? You were wrong. (laughs) You were wrong to let me go. But even though Andrew's been able to compete with a giant like National, growing to that size isn't his ultimate goal. I don't have a vision for my company where... I'm going to have an office space downtown because that's not what I want. I've been there. I don't want to play that game. I like what I do, which is working directly with clients, making enough money to feel comfortable. But what matters most to me now is, well, it's having that work-life balance. I like work. I like working with my clients. I like telling stories for them. But I also value immensely the time I spend with my children and seeing them grow. You know, I'm not traveling an hour and a bit to work and an hour and a bit coming home from work. Um, I see my family all the time now. It's, it's awesome. That's all for the risk takers on Fierce Competition. Thanks to Andrew Finlater of Select PR and Cameron Reed for sharing their stories. 
The Risk Takers is produced by J.P. Davidson and myself, Sarah Efron. The music by Prince Innocence. Thanks this week to Ella Fetter and Ellie Gordon Marshall for their recording and interviewing help. For more small business stories, check out tgam.ca slash smallbusiness. That's tgam.ca slash smallbusiness. You can also sign up for a free weekly small business newsletter at tgam.ca slash newsletter sign up. For more risk takers, subscribe wherever you download podcasts. And if you like the show, tell a friend or review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with more risk takers next week. To discuss this episode on Twitter, use the hashtag TheRiskTakers. Risk Takers.